Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Hotbed. This is the fifth series of our podcast, and it's brought to you by the Hotbed Collective. I'm Lisa Williams. I'm Anneke Somerville. And we have Cherry Healy, who is our co-founder at large. We set this up to talk about why women don't have as many orgasms as men. We want to know why this is. And so we use this podcast and our, drumroll, new book, More Orgasms Please, Why Female Pleasure Matters, to explore issues such as body image, shame, and the impact of busy lives on sex and relationships, and more. Listen on and follow us on Instagram at The Hotbed Collective. The Hotbed Collective's debut book, More Orgasms Please, is out now and has been described by Stylist Magazine as one of the top non-fiction books of 2019. It's an open, honest and at moments hilarious dive into all aspects of sex for women. It covers feminist porn, body image, menopause and much more. It's punchy and playful, normalising and educating. It's an eye-opening read that puts women's bodies and their right to pleasure firmly on the map. Think of it as Couch to 5K for orgasms. More orgasms, please. Why Female Pleasure Matters is available now in hardback, ebook, and audiobook versions. How are your hormones today, Anarchy? Oh, they're all over the place, I must say. Uh, what's up and what's down? Mm, well, I'm post-period, and I must say that post-baby, your periods come back with a vengeance. Oh. And um, I seem to be extra hormonal. But in a way, there's something quite reassuring about that because you know that it's just hormones. But how long did it take you to get to that point? Um, actually, do you know what? I think it was probably when we were writing our book and we were writing the chapter on hormones. And I was suddenly like, actually, that makes a lot of sense because we break it down, don't we, by different age groups. And I was kind of like, post-baby, it's normal to feel this way. And certainly your first and second periods and beyond, um, they are heavier than usual and you're a bit all over the place mood-wise. So listeners, I imagine that by now you've probably already read More Orgasms, Please, Why Female Pleasure Matters, um, several times cover to cover. But those of you who haven't, we've got a helpful chapter in there about hormones and how they affect your sex drive, because it was a bit of a learning experience for us, because I think, and we write about this in that chapter, which was probably second to the anal sex chapter, the hardest Mm, to write, would you say? Because it's much more technical, I think, than all the other stuff. Um, We were genuinely in the dark about hormones. And I think it was only really after having my first baby that I started to think about them because it's so weird. You get used to having periods and having PMS and whatever. But it's so weird when you have that first baby to feel these surges of hormones and all these hormones doing really weird things to your body and to your Mm. brain and crying. I mean, day four after having a baby crying all day even though you don't feel sad that's so Mm -hmm. weird because you feel out of control and you realize oh that's actually just the hormone rush Mm. and I'm in a weird um, position in that because obviously I had Greta quite old you know in my mid-40s 
Um, and I think, you know, I've, I'm not going through the menopause, but it's probably, it may even be the beginnings of the perimenopause. Mm-hmm. Um, but in fact, my mum didn't go through the menopause until she was in her mid-50s. So I think sometimes you take after your um, your mum in that regard. But still, I just, I feel sometimes like my body is just, um, it doesn't really know what's going on. It's like you've had a baby, but you're in your 40s. What the fuck are you doing? We are slaves to our hormones. And I think it's really comforting to find out a bit more about them because you realise sometimes stuff's out of your control. Sometimes your feelings. And, you know, one of the really good facts in there, which is kind of slightly sketchy, but there was enough evidence to include it, is that when women, well, when people have sex, no matter what gender you are, you have this hormone surge of oxytocin, this hormone, this hormone which is about bonding and loving feelings. And it's the same bonding hormone for after you have a baby that helps you bond with your baby. Like this hormone happens when you have sex with someone and it bonds you to your whoever you've just had sex with. And that's quite scary sometimes because you might think in your head like, oh, they're not suitable, but actually your body's going, yes, girlfriend, they are. And you sort of have these sort of sexual and bonding feelings, even though you kind of aren't sure if you like them. Mm. And the classic one is that if you're about to ovulate, you wear less clothing. So they've done studies of women in nightclubs and generally the women who are wearing less clothes, uh, more sexy clothes, um, it's often in, in time with their ovulation because they're more fertile. Yeah, and that's like, I remember reading an article about this years ago in a girls' magazine and they called it your O-day and it was about when you ovulate. So like usually day 14 of your cycle, if day one is when, you, uh, when your period starts, day 14 is around then is when you ovulate. <laughs> And it's when you're most likely to have a baby, which means you feel hornier and you just look better. You look in the mirror and you look more symmetrical. Mm. And you're, by the way, we've got baby Greta here. And she's being very, she's moving around a lot. She's and on, Lisa's holding her at the moment. She's on sassy form. She's sassy. She's all sassy in she's, her nappy. So you're most fertile around your O-day, which makes you kind of generally nicer to be with. Yes. So I'm obviously nice to be with all month round. You're never, never grumpy, and I'm never grumpy. I get terrible PMS, awful PMS, and I am such a grumpy cow, and I don't realise, I still, at the age of 30, Mm. 37, I still forget when it's going to be my period, Mm. and I... I'm like, why is everyone pissing me off? I had a terrible week last week, and then I got my period, and I was like, actually, I'm a bit relieved because I feel so dreadful that um, I know that this is hormone related Mm -hmm. and it's going to end. Yeah, it's a relief. Maisie Hill's written a brilliant book called Period Power. Have you read Mm. that? I've read some of it. I haven't read all of it. It's, I mentioned it in the last series as well, but it's all about tracking your menstrual cycle and working with your mood. Mm. So it's all about, you know, in what she calls the winter season is when you should be holding yourself up and being kind to yourself. And this is when you are feeling pre-menstrual. And another book is The Hormone Diaries by Hannah Witten. Mm. She is a YouTuber and she's pretty big and she's pretty funny and she's pretty young. And pretty good. And pretty, pretty. But what I love about her is she's young and she's talking about sex, porn, consent, and she's doing it in a really frank, fun way, but also from an informed perspective because she's got a position of authority because... Young people watch her and she doesn't just pretend to be an expert. She she does read around things. She's informed. She'll bring people in to talk about 
particular issues. They did a really good vlog about porn and about the new porn laws that are coming in. And for that reason, I wanted to talk to her. So here's Hannah. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hannah Witten, legend, how are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for talking to us in your your book tour of the UK with the Hormone Diaries. It's been a good, a good couple of weeks. As tell me how Hormone Diaries evolved from, from your YouTube channel to a book. Yeah, so it started out as just a series on my YouTube channel um, where I came off the pill after being on the pill for seven years. And during that seven years, I didn't have any periods. And so I was like, hmm... I wonder what it's like if I take, if I come off the pill, like what does my body actually do? Like, is this normal? Um, like I went on the pill when I was 17 and I really didn't know all that much about what I was doing and what the other options were. So I was like, you know what? I, I kind of want to learn about this now. So I started documenting that process of, of learning about stuff, but then also like actually the changes to my body and things like that. Um, and yeah it really resonated with a lot of people and a lot of people were starting to share their stories and like ask different questions and like and really just I think it's kind of like the start of this movement of of people like not just accepting that their periods have to be painful all the time or like accepting that they um the research is like oh we don't actually know what's going on um but being like oh no we actually kind of are demanding answers and and us starting to be curious about what we're putting into um our bodies and also like just how to how to like make our menstrual cycles work for us um and how to take advantage of the different things that are available to us did you feel real changes to your mood and to your body when you came off the pill and you know, could you, could you feel the difference, you know, when your hormones were back, I suppose? Yeah. So I, I count myself as one of the very lucky ones who doesn't experience or haven't so far experienced any mood changes because of, um, hormonal changes. Um, I kind of was very much the same before and and the same after, like there was nothing, like I was obviously, because I was documenting it, I was trying really hard to look for differences, but I, 
but I just couldn't. Like, I was like, I don't feel any different. Like, I feel the same. Body changes, however, um, the probably one of the, 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 the biggest ones was I got my period back. <laughs> um, and then I started experiencing um, PMS symptoms again, because before, like, the pill that I was on not only stopped me from bleeding, but also some of the, like, the other symptoms that came along with that. So I would get period cramps again, and also my boobs ached so much in the lead up before my period started which ultimately um it was so it was so bad and just got in the way of like being able to live my life um I went back on contraception in order to like manage that symptom uh yeah so those two were the big that that was like the big changes and then also I gained a lot of weight which I wasn't expecting um and I yeah coming off it because everyone like tells these stories about gaining weight when they come on the pill um but I had it the opposite and to us I don't know how much of it was to do with coming off the pill and my body going through a, a change in its regular hormones or it was the fact that I was 24 years old and and like mid-20s was hitting and um I was just like gaining weight naturally because I'd gotten to that age where my body wasn't as like um youthful <laughs> anymore I don't know I feel like I've heard a lot of stories from friends as well like you in your mid-20s like suddenly it's yeah like this kind of like second puberty or, or something god well try having a baby and then the hormones <laughs> that kick around after that and when you're pregnant and after the baby and yeah when you're breastfeeding if you are like wow that's a, a shit show <laughs> yeah oh my god show yeah so, they talk, so, there's a, like a bit about pregnancy and the hormone diaries as well and obviously I had to do research for that because I had no first-hand experience and then had um people who'd been pregnant as well um talking about their experiences and I was like oh holy <laughs> shit <laughs> but you know and the problem is is that no one really warns you and I think mm. what I found you know I've had a decent education but I still found that hormones were an abstract concept and I I'd hear people talk about hormones but not in any way that was particularly real or understandable to me and it was really only having children that made me think wow like they really affect everything and you can blame quite a lot on hormones so in some ways we're off the hook yeah exactly you um you also feature your mum in the book um yeah and you know she talks about menopause so did she take much persuading or you know was it how did did that come about and how Um, was it I, I knew from the start that I absolutely like wanted a bit about menopause in in the book because it's like the hormone diaries and it starts with puberty and then ends with menopause. But the way that I've um I've been like putting that is like ends with menopause and then the rest of your life begins. Um and yeah, and then I um had like briefly spoken to my mum about menopause and stuff before, but only really in a like um are you okay? How you doing? Are you like on the other side now? <laughs> and um, just like a few little questions that here and there. But yeah, I was like, hey, do you want to write about your experience with the menopause? Like like a, a letter to your menopause, because that's kind of like the format of, of the stories from other people. It's like, dear my pill, dear my period. So my mum wrote, dear menopause. Um, she, she didn't take that much persuading. I think she was more nervous about... Um, um, like the writing to be honest than the sharing necessarily being like oh like I've never written anything before um, but it was really good and like um, barely barely even had to be um, edited so ah, 
Chanel. Nice it. one. Nice one, honey. Yeah. And so has she been quite open to you um, as you were growing up about, you know, periods and sex and, and body confidence? And is that where you think you might have got some of your openness from? Yeah, definitely. Like I grew up in a in a pretty open household, but I didn't like there's there's obviously going to be so much that your parents can do and then you're still getting a lot of messages from like school friends in the media and things like that. And so I I think I think they tried and then also um um there are some areas that like even despite their openness, like I wasn't ready for it yet. Um, but like with periods, yeah, my mum was like mega prepared. Like I was 11 when I started and she already was just like, right, pads, tampons, got them all. Here we go. Um, before me and me or my sister like had started having sex, she, I don't think she, maybe she did buy some condoms. I don't know. She offered to buy condoms. So that was like a conversation. She was like, do you want me to get you some condoms? And I just remember being like, no, mum, it's fine. Like, I know where to get them from. (laughs) Like, I'll just go to the school nurse and get some free condoms from her. Um, So it was like, she she was kind of like offering up to have those open conversations. But teenage me was just like, no, (laughs) mum. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think sometimes it's not that the parent doesn't want to talk about stuff. It's just that the kid or the teenager is just not ready to have that conversation. And it's maybe needs the information, but doesn't want to get it from their parents. Um, Exactly. And I think sometimes, like, one of the things that my parents did was, like, give me a book. And then, but then very much, they, they very much made it clear to me that if I had any questions that I could come to them and they would be non-judgmental. Um, and I think that's probably like one of the most important things. It wasn't, it wasn't, um, a case of them, like, you know, try, like really trying to like have these open conversations with me. It was more like, Hey, like, just so you know, X, Y, Z, but also like in your own time, got any questions, come to us. But also if you don't want to talk to us about it, like, make sure that you can talk to other people about it like it was yeah I, I think it was pretty it was pretty good yeah that's really good advice um do you think I mean I'm actually I'm really interested in the areas that you weren't told about that you felt unprepared for because one of my thoughts is that our parents would educate us in the way that they wished that they had been educated which is probably yeah. what we'll do then with our children um a lot of our listeners have children of an age old enough to start asking questions about things yeah um, but there's stuff that I can't prepare my children for because I haven't experienced it and it's not on the, it wasn't on the agenda when I was growing up, but it will be for Oh, them. like social media and yeah. things like that. Mm. Yeah. That terrifies me too because I, like, you, you, you're like an older millennial and I'm like a young yeah, millennial. Right. So we're, yeah, so we're, so we're... Um, I, same bracket, I, different ends. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of same bracket, yeah, because I got my first smartphone when I was 20 right. and at university and got my first, like, texting mobile when I was 12 And so that is like a dramatically different adolescence experience than Mm -hmm. what like your kids will have and what my potential future children will also have. So yeah, Yeah. it terrifies me. I have no idea. (laughs) What do you think was missing from your sex ed? What would you like to have, not necessarily just from your parents, but from schools? There's some areas that you think, I mean, pleasure is a big one for us, you know, because we think that our curriculum was all about like um, STIs and pregnancy and a Mm -hmm. bit about anatomy, but it was all sort of internal they didn't really tell us anything well they didn't yeah tell like us the about reproductive the system yeah nothing yeah. about pitterus nothing about you know this is actually quite fun yeah so me and some friends were actually talking the other day about 
trying to remember when we first learned about the clitoris. And I was yeah. like, do you know what? I, can't, I cannot pinpoint it, but it definitely wasn't in school. Mm, mm. Like, I think it was just like one of those things that eventually I caught onto, like through the grapevine. But yes. yeah, def- definitely no formal education about um the clitoris which no. is a shame it's a shame it's underplayed it's underplayed in films you never really see it in foreplay not in porn that much and mm-hmm. it's it's hardly i think it's only been said a couple of times on tv in america and in, in, you know on prime time and probably well, just like the word the word it made yeah. the headlines this is a, we've done a, a chapter in our book called how lit is your clit and um i talk about <laughs> a couple of examples because it was in the office and someone said clitoris in the office in america and that was a, a really big deal it's crazy you know wow i know yeah a bit of a gap. it's like if it's it's like if we were shocked at someone saying like penis or any word that was slang for penis because it's, right. that's basically that's the same organ i know i know yeah. but it's much more normal to say penis or anything to do with that but it's sort of jokey and normal mm-hmm. people can say it without being too embarrassed but clitoris ellen degeneres she's she's who taught me about clitoris because she used it in oh really of, yeah she used it in one of her stand-up routines that i watched kind of in late night channel four telly so i've got ellen to thank for a lot and this is before she was huge you know but i remember her that's brilliant i wish i knew like what my moment of learning about it was like i i remember when i was 13 because i didn't masturbate for ages because i kind of had internalized all of this stuff about how it's female masturbation was gross and it just like what like i didn't even like consider that it was an option for me i was just like Mm. no like like it was one of those things where like in school if you were a boy and you didn't masturbate you were weird and if you're a girl and you did masturbate you were weird which God. is so messed so up messed but up. yeah I internalized all of this stuff and just like never did anything and then one day when I was like 13 I was just like um um I was like gonna be doing stuff with a boy and I remember being like oh I should probably see what what it would be like for him so it wasn't okay. me it wasn't me exploring for my own benefit mm. I was just I I wanted to know what it was going to be like for him I think to kind of like put at ease my like potential insecurities just so Mm -hmm. I like knew Mm. and by doing that I just like put my fingers inside me and I just remember being like I don't get it like (laughs) I was just like I don't understand this isn't nice this is just I was like this is kind of like neutral and like boring and it's squishy I don't get it (laughs) um and then it must have been like a few years like years after that until I was like oh like there's a whole other bit there's a whole other bit above that right and our fav- our favorite well our f- one of our favorite stats is the whole it's actually only 20 percent of female bodied people who will orgasm through intercourse and it's so normalizing when you hear that and you think oh that wasn't just me being weird you know it's just how my body's built like the majority of other women yeah yeah it's just like we we miss out this entire bit where actually most female orgasms come from but it has nothing to do with reproduction um, or penises, so yeah. it's get, it gets ignored. So do you see Sad. yourself as a sex educator? Because obviously it's very clear there's still a huge vacuum of information being mm. told in the right way. And, you know, do you think this is, do you feel what you're doing is, is important work? Because I'll say that I think it is. I think what you're doing is really important. I do think it's important and that's why I do it. Like if I, like I kind of have to think that it's important in order to kind of keep, going um I do see myself as a sex educator but definitely have got a lot of imposter syndrome about that um 
in terms of like because there's no official qualifications in the in the UK that that you can do to become like a, a sex educator like you can go a teacher route or a doctor route or a, a like a, um, a psychology route like or a, a youth work like there's literally like there's so many different ways that you can get to there and like I've gone away like I studied history at uni and and specialized in like sexual history but mostly self-taught and I just kind of feel like that's fine like I I um I'm not I'm an ambassador for Brooke and I I'm very careful with like what I learn and like what I teach and also I very much consider myself like a peer-to-peer educator and it's just more about breaking down those taboos and having those conversations and I just feel like if like I'm comfortable talking about these things and not a lot of people are and so sometimes people just need to like see or hear other people having these conversations and just like sharing their own experiences to um to feel like less shame and an embarrassment around their bodies and stuff yeah it's so important um speaking of orgasms earlier yeah what are your top three tips? So you've done your research, you've obviously read widely, mm. you've talked to a lot of people, you've experimented. Top three tips for female-bodied people to achieve orgasm equality. So I think, obviously, we mentioned that like penetration is probably, like statistically, not your best bet in order to, <laughs> yeah. in order to get there, if you're looking at the stats alone. <laughs> um, but kind of beyond that, it's about, I think, acknowledging that, penis and vagina sex is not the only sex and we like to talk about like we have certain like languages around sex of like we did everything but meaning penis and vagina sex or foreplay which because which comes before the real sex and I think if you acknowledge that like all different kinds of sexual acts including masturbation like it is sex and kind of like being able to like accept that I think that would help to just derive more pleasure in general and then that will then help you achieve orgasm if that's something that you're after. Obviously, one of the most annoying tips for orgasms is to not think about it. Oh, <laughs> it's like not not tr- not just try relax, to relax. Just relax. Yeah, don't think about like, it too much. The more you the more you try to have an orgasm, the less likely you are to have one, which is so frustrating. Um, which it, that was definitely like my issue for ages, mm. but it's so it's annoyingly true, but there's this brilliant book um, by Dr. Emily Nagoski called Come As You Are. And one of the appendixes at the back of that book is literally like the most kind and thorough step-by-step guide to um, having an orgasm if you have a vulva, um, if you've never orgasmed before, or if you have trouble. I can't remember like the exact specifics, but it's basically about it's like the slowest thing ever. It's like not, it's not even like you can do this in one session. It's like, you know, it could take weeks. (laughs) Um, But it's about like kind of like measuring how aroused you are, like kind of giving like a zero to 10 of like what your like mental arousal state is and like building yourself up to like a four and then, then stopping. And then like maybe next time building yourself up to a five and then stopping and then next time building yourself and like doing it like that. And actually what you'll find is because because you've set out um, at the beginning to not have an orgasm, like the, the aim is not to have an orgasm. The aim is to reach whatever your level five arousal is and then just like stop or like bring it back down. That reminds yeah. me of the OMGS tactic of edging. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's very, it's very similar. Um, 
to edging. Yeah, yeah. this is yeah, it. Yeah. You see, it's, it's kind of mind games, body mm-hmm. games, but you know, it works. So give it a go, right? Yeah. Got nothing yes. to lose. Having an orgasm, we always say, it doesn't take one away from someone else. You know, it's a truly... No, orgasm is not a zero-sum game. No. no. Right. <laughs> I think we've got that exact word in our... I think we've got that exact phrase in our book, but it's a Oh, really? True, yeah, we should get T-shirts yeah. made. Yes. Good old merch. Definitely. So, Hannah, thank you so much for talking to us and imparting all of this wisdom and advice and good luck for the rest of your book tour and hopefully we'll cross paths at, you know, when there's some kind of um, getting all the cool people that talk about sex together festival. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, we'll see you there. Lots of love. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Read the book, buy the book. People are loving the book. Thank you for buying the book. Definitely buy the book. And um, it makes a great... um, present because I'm just thinking actually it's one of those books if you gave it to a girlfriend Mm. so instead of I don't know what would be another book that you might give them I'd like to see it become as popular as 50 shades of grey because that would mean that we could both retire and have large swimming pools but also I think it's probably a little bit more informative I mean I'm all I'm I'm up for 50 shades of grey I'm not going to critique it too badly but um, yeah you'll learn a lot more I think and you might even have an orgasm Mm. we want to know how your orgasms are going has the book helped you have an orgasm has it helped you have any kind of breakthrough has it entertained you and by the way we're loving all the instagram coverage so please keep snapping away because that makes a difference and it flatters me and it flatters anarchy and it flatters cherry so we talked about period sex as well and this was interesting for me because i'm not a big fan generally of period sex and then i found out that when you are on your period, there's obviously a lot of blood flow going to your pelvic area, which can make you feel really horny and it can make sex quite good. So whilst I wasn't a big fan, I read that. And then also, if you're busy and you don't have much time to have sex, like holiday is quite a big deal and it's sort of a good window for for some shagging. And I'm always on my period when I go on holiday. I mean, always. And you can't really book your holiday to do with your menstrual cycle because my menstrual cycle always changes. So it just always so happens. Maybe it's, I don't know, because I relax or whatever. But a lovely company called Intamina sent me something called the Ziggy Cup, which is bright pink because everything's got to be bright pink. Sex toys, menstrual cups, so much is bright pink. But I'm going to, I like pink, but still. Um, I'd like a leopard print, maybe. Anyway, Mm. it was pink and it looks just like a Dutch cap, you know, a, a diaphragm. And it's a menstrual cup, but you can have sex while you're wearing it. Mm. I don't know if you can wear. Can you wear a menstrual cup? I don't know if that's the right verb. Yes, of course. You do wear it. You yeah. wear it. You wear okay. It. So I wore it. And um, and it came just in time for me to go away and not to have... Because the thing is, like, you can have messy period sex but when you're at home because you can put a towel down and wash yeah, it. But, but when you're, you're staying in, in a hotel or yeah, an apartment, yeah. Not not so good for the for the cleaning ladies. So I took it and it gets the thumbs up. Not an ad, although it was gifted. And I thought you should know about it. It's my public service announcement. Mm. But how does that work though, doesn't it? Because it's obviously at the top of your cervix, so it's not bouncing around. No, because no. it's like a cap. So if you think about the diaphragm, yeah, it's it takes a bit of getting used to to put in because you have to get really up close and personal. Mm. You really have to jam your fingers up there gently. Mm. You can use a bit of lube to help you. And I've already used a menstrual cup. So I'm sort of used to doing it, but you have to go kind of one stage further and literally Mm. make it circle your 
cervix, which is really interesting because I've never mm. felt my cervix before. Never really wanted to. Um, have now. It's completely fine. It takes a bit of getting used to, but it depends if you want to have period sex and how messy you want that to get. Mm, interessant. 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 So I think I'm quite looking forward to not getting periods. I know it's quite a conflicted time when you've got the menopause and I'm not looking forward to it in particular, but there is one aspect of it, which is just the freedom that it buys you. Um, and I plan to wear lots of white trousers, possibly linen from Peruna, um, and I plan to do lots of sports activities, jumping out of planes, things like that, water skiing. I might wear really high cut um, underwear. I'm going to do all the things that you can't do. I know you can do them if you've got effective san- sanitary protection, but I'm just looking forward to not having my period and not having the cramps. And the only problem is that I think you then get grumpy because of the menopause. So it's sort of you're trading in one kind of grumps for another kind of grumps. But yeah, no periods that's one benefit surely what I think is really interesting about the menopause is I look at this generation of women perhaps like our mum's ages who are sort of late 60s 70s and they just suffered in silence with their menopause and Mm. they weren't connected in the same way as as we are with things like Instagram and Meg Matthews who's done Meg's menopause who we interviewed I think in our first ever season I know and she's now got a range of products out Mm -hmm. in Superdrug which is interesting Mm. um, linked to the menopause Um, I mean, one of the things to say is that it used to just be a joke. So people joked about how women were getting hot flushes and sweaty, Mm -hmm. um, but it was never treated with any serious kind of information or help. No, and now I think this new generation kind of started with, starting with, hang on, and now with this new generation, starting with Meg Matthews and also Andrea McLean, who's divine, and she spoke. I've seen Meg Matthews speak about menopause on a panel and I saw Andrea and I saw Andrea McLean at an Eve Appeal event, and both of them are just so articulate and passionate and funny. And they're also saying like the menopause is fucking shit. I mean, they're more articulate than me, so they said it in a better way. But it is it can really suck. And I know Meg's put quite a nice spin on it because she's like, oh, you should masturbate to help mm. relieve some of the symptoms, which is really cool. And I love that attitude. But genuinely, there's not much to, okay, apart from you saying like, oh, it's good that you don't have your period anymore. I don't think there's much to recommend about the menopause. And I think as it's then now our generation, when we get the menopause, it's going to be, we're going to be louder, aren't we? And we're going to complain. I'm certainly going to complain. And I I hope that it will lead to some kind of breakthrough and more research and more products and like more understanding. I think it's really important. Imagine going through, there's certain things like at work that you can't talk about because it's considered unprofessional, but going through something like menopause and also I'm going to count something like terrible period pain. The other one that's, of course, you know, actually we're talking about it recently on Radio 4 is is miscarriage as well because that's another thing that... You know, women, unfortunately, because they don't tend to tell anyone before 12 weeks. And then, obviously, there's a very high chance that you can miscarry in that time. And so quite a lot of women might be at work. And, I mean, certainly that happened to me where I was at work um, and I had a miscarriage. But I couldn't really talk to anyone about it. So, essentially, I was having to operate in quite a intense work environment. And I couldn't explain why I was feeling so awful and devastated. Greta there is crying. She's sympathy crying. with you. It's a sad, sad story, but it is very sad. Yeah, I was pitching to investors when I had a miscarriage and had to go to the loo. And I was like, oh, I don't know, this is quite heavy bleeding for a pregnancy. Went to A&E that night, bumped into a friend, 
which was a bit awkward, like a business friend, someone I didn't know very well. Lovely, Emma Sale from Killing Kittens. Mm. She's great, but I was a bit like, I don't really want to tell you what I'm here for. I don't know what the etiquette is for like, if you bump into someone at the doctor or the hospital, the more we talk about it and the more we talk about it, the more it becomes acceptable at work. I went to work the day after my miscarriage as well. Mm. There is part of you that probably wants to carry on, but I mean, I remember I went into a board meeting and they did know what had happened at that point. Mm. And it was, I used to be in a company with three men. So I managed the company with three blokes and they felt so awkward. Mm. I remember one of them came over and gave me a cuddle. And actually Aww. when he gave me a cuddle, that started, I started to cry. <laughs> but how lovely for your colleague to give you a cuddle. I think that's really nice. And I think a lot of the awkwardness around all of this in somewhere like the workplace is obviously different genders and people who don't go through the menopause just might find it awkward and not know what to say. And that's because we don't talk about it. So it becomes this sort of vicious cycle. So I think what Hannah Witten is doing is great. I think what Maisie Hill is doing is great. Meg Matthews, Andrea McLean, we've got to kind of keep going and hopefully people will read these books and read our book and and keep up the conversation with the men and with the workplace. Because I think if you can give health, and I'm obviously talking about kind of women's health here, but in general, I'm sure there's men's issues that need attention as well. If you can prioritise that at work and if you can make it not awkward for people to book off time for their cervical smear, you know, that's that's a better thing for the workplace because you've got people who aren't neglecting their health who are going to stay healthy and and happy so that's our episode on hormones i hope you have found it interesting and enjoyable please contact us at the hotbed collective on instagram if you've got anything to say and happy hormoning you've been listening to the hotbed the podcast brought to you by the hotbed collective who want to make life better one orgasm at a time. If you like us, we would love it if you could subscribe to us using your podcast player. And while you're there, leave us a glowing review, if only to massage our paper-thin egos. Thank you.